Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is October 2009, the two-year anniversary of Evolution Revolution Radio. Consciousness holds possibilities that exist beyond the limitations of materiality, and only when we invoke the awareness of these limitless possibilities can they begin to arise within and around us to create a most divine outcome. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Please explore more about myself, Evolution Revolution, Voices of Change, all past guests and archives, media articles, services, resources, upcoming events, and much more on my website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Also, be sure to explore in iTunes over 80 hours of inspirational listening for Evolution Revolution by searching Dulcinea. And with Voices of Change in iTunes, you can find 20 audios that will inspire you by searching Dulcinea 333. Thank you for listening and joining us wherever you may be. Tonight on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Dr. Amit Goswami, a theoretical nuclear physicist and professor emeritus of the University of Oregon Institute for Theoretical Physics. His father was a Hindu guru in India And in his work, Dr. Goswami brings knowledge of mystical traditions together with his love for scientific exploration. He is a pioneer of the new paradigm of science called Science Within Consciousness and the author of the highly successful textbook, Quantum Mechanics. His two-volume textbook for non-scientists titled The Physicist's View of Nature traces the decline and rediscovery of the concept of God within science. Goswami also has written over a dozen books based on his research on quantum physics and consciousness, including The Self-Aware Universe, where he solved the quantum measurement problem, elucidating the famous observer effect while paving the path to a new paradigm of science based on the primacy of consciousness. Subsequently, In the visionary window, Goswami demonstrated how science and spirituality could be integrated. In Physics of the Soul, he developed a theory of survival after death and reincarnation. His book, Quantum Creativity, is a tour de force instruction on how to engage in both outer and inner creativity. In The Quantum Doctor, Goswami integrates conventional and alternative medicine. Also, in his book, God is Not Dead, it changes how readers think and experience the nature of reality, the existence of souls, the power of dreams, the universality of love, the possibility of ESP, and the very mind of God. Additionally, in Creative Evolution, Goswami posits that consciousness, not matter, is the primary force in the universe, awakening the possibilities. Goswami became best known as one of the interviewed scientists featured in the 2004 film, What the Bleep Do We Know? 
and was also featured in the documentary Dalai Lama Renaissance. Dr. Goswami's latest film, The Quantum Activist, is a film intended to reveal the revolutionary paradigms within science that reveal the unlimited potential of consciousness while bridging the gap between science and God. Dr. Goswami lives in Eugene, Oregon. Welcome to the second anniversary of Evolution Revolution with Dr. Goswami. Thank you for joining us this evening. Glad to be here, Dasinia. Wonderful. So how have the limited or misconstrued perceptions of reality led to the imbalance across the globe socially, economically, financially, and spiritually? You want me to answer all of that simultaneously? That's a tall order, but I'll try. Well, look, for the last 60 years or so, we have the concept that matter is everything and consciousness, mind, uh, the energies that we feel, uh, our intuitions, they're all uh, epiphenomena, secondary phenomena to matter, specifically they're phenomenon of the brain. But uh, this view, of course, uh, leaves out, um, because they're secondary, leaves out the meaning of our life, which mind brings us, leaves out the importance of feeling, because again, feeling is secondary, and matter cannot process feeling anywhere, so feeling is denigrated. Intuitions, again, matter cannot process intuition, so intuitions are neglected, ignored. So uh, what does that leave uh, uh, in? I mean, what are we entitled to have? We are just uh, pictured as machines, meaningless machines, um, roaming around uh, without any purpose, right? And, of course, uh, the consequences are um, being felt now, today, because we have all these problems, global warming, terrorism, uh, economic meltdown being the major ones, but our educational system is not working anymore. Um, Health, of course, is a huge, huge problem. Uh, We need something to do. Uh, about it. Um, Religions are in turmoil uh, because nobody expects them anymore. They're denigrated every day by uh, scientists uh, who always attack a straw god of uh, a wise man sitting in the sky or an emperor sitting in the sky, Uh, that kind of primitive picture, which is not what God is all about. So uh, this is the situation that materialism has created on top of it. Materialism is created as of, of such a uh, ubiquitously able science uh, which leaves out all these things, creates all these problems, um, has so many paradoxes of which we can talk about in this hour, um, but yet creates such a mystique. Uh, it's so ingrained today in our society that uh, people hardly question that all of these problems um, are due to the incomplete worldview that we have. Uh, this is perhaps the the most uh, puzzling uh, consequence of materialism. It has created an aura of inviolability, uh, which which uh, makes it hard to question it. Um, you know, this is um, a few of us who question it and trying to find alternative uh, science. In fact, my claim is that already the alternative science is there. Uh, it works, it agrees with experimental data. It explains all the paradoxes and anomalies of this materialist science. But, you know, this, 
we are outcast. I mean, as soon as we say these kinds of things, uh, our work, uh, our work basically is neglected in the by the bulk of the scientific community. So, uh, literally, uh, we have to build alternative science, uh, an alternative science movement uh, through popular uh, demand. Maybe we will make an impact eventually. But right now, uh, regular establishment journals will not publish our papers. Uh, it's very difficult. I have managed to publish a few, but um, of late I only publish books because that's slightly easier. And uh, by this movement, uh, quantum activism, I hope to uh, be heard by people. And if people approve uh, this work, if they see the cogency and the potency, then maybe uh, we can convince, uh, because we still live in a democracy, thank God, now we can convince our government to legitimize uh, alternative science, science within consciousness, just as government has basically been instrumental in legitimize alternative medicine in this country. Incidentally, I consider that uh, integration of alternative and conventional medicine as a major part of, of this of this new worldview and new science. And I think that will probably uh, have the maximum impact eventually for changing the worldview. Very, one, very, <laughs> very beautiful. Very well-rounded. Thank you. So with that being said, what was your inspiration then to create this most recent film, The Quantum Activist? So as I was saying, um, I'll just continue uh, with uh, what I already have said. Uh, so a, an activism is needed um, to establish this new worldview. That's the first job of a quantum activist. But, but really, the idea of quantum activism and how it is different from the regular spiritual uh, traditions and, of course, regular activism, that is very important for me to stress and, and why I was inspired to uh, create a new movement of activism will become clear from that. You know, I was blaming materialist science in terms of um, being entrenched and how they quench all oppositional voices. But it is also true that religion has not been um, the uh, blameless uh, organization either. Uh, religions likewise uh, have been extremely parochial in shutting out alternative voices, oppositional voices. Um, what happened as a result is that uh, religions denigrated the material world, world itself, the manifest world. Their point was always see God and this manifest world is illusory, don't get attached to it, uh, see God and God only, and uh, heaven after death, and that is the uh, goal of human life. Um, in contrast now, today materialist science says just the opposite, that the goal of human life is to live in this very world, manifest world, and since there is no God, perhaps, and there is nobody to punish you after your death, um, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, enjoy yourself. There is, in fact, an advert in London buses right now which says God probably does not exist, so um, relax and enjoy yourself. So uh, do you see that how these oppositional views have polarized uh, our country and, of course, uh, almost the whole world, and this cannot stand because, of course, consciousness 
is inclusive. If anything, mystics like Jesus have told us about spirituality, it is that God is inclusive. Jesus said, kingdom of God is everywhere, and then he lamented that but people don't see it. So people don't see it because they become parochial. They become protective of the particular exclusionary belief that they have. But your, your belief may be exclusionary, but reality is not exclusionary. Reality obviously has to be inclusive. So uh, both the material world, both the manifest world, and what is unmanifest, where the source of inspiration of the manifest world comes from, both are important. And finally, we have a physics, quantum physics, that from the get-go has shown that uh, why and how both unmanifest and manifest can be and must be important because quantum physics says objects are possibilities to choose from. Who chooses? Consciousness chooses. But possibilities and consciousness are in the unmanifest realm until consciousness chooses and then the world manifests. So in this way, the quantum physics for the first time in human history puts together the integrative basis of these two great traditions spirituality and materialism. So now that we have integration, there is no excuse for the rest of us to sit quietly. We now can integrate our own lives eh, and help integrate other people's lives. And how do we do that? We use the quantum principles themselves to uh, integrate ourselves and also to integrate our fellow human beings so that all of us together can reveal, manifest the rest of what is there to manifest. There is a tremendous agenda that we have. I wrote a book called Creative Evolution uh, where I uh, laid down the evolution of consciousness as it must take shape and form. And there is so much work to do today. I mean, you know, we really don't have much time to waste. Uh, we have to solve the problems that materialism has created. Uh, this aberration of 60 years, I hope uh, 60 years are enough. Uh, we don't have to suffer through any more, any much more of that. Maybe in 10 years, uh, we can change the worldview. And then my hope is that after we change the worldview, after we recognize what our agenda of evolution is, how um, much work we need to do, we'll get down to the tracks and start working, start uh, evolving once again. Very, very exciting. So there's a lot of possibility that, can arise from the creation of the quantum activists. It's awakening people wherever they may be in their own consciousness, allowing them to see that there are more possibilities. Yes, allowing them to see that there are more possibilities, allowing them also to see how to manifest these possibilities in our lives and uh, how to help people to manifest them also. Because we always have to um, be aware that there are people, um, and, and, and this is the way it has been so far in our evolution, uh, who have been ignored, who have been left behind in the pursuit of meaning and values in our life. So the, as soon as you recognize meaning and value and manifest some of them in our own life, it is prerogative. We automatically recognize that we cannot do this alone, and that's not Consciousness is all about. Consciousness is all people. We are interconnected, and therefore it is our prerogative and uh, duty to also help others. So we have to change our social systems 
so that uh, people who are left behind, they get an opportunity to pursue meaning and value and purpose also. Very, very well put. So it's really recognizing that our individual consciousness accumulates into the larger pool of consciousness, and then that has a domino effect on the larger humanity. Uh, right, right. In fact, what we do can be inherited by, uh, in the future by a much larger pool of people, and that's how our uh, resolve today to transform ourselves using the quantum principles will, will not end with the end of us. It will, it will transmit to future generations. Quantum physics has a concept called non-locality, signal-less communication. This signal-less communication, this consciousness that we have, the, uh, that gives us the uh, unique opportunity of making changes which are stored beyond space and time as non-local memory, which can then be uh, transmigrated to future generations without any signal. In other words, how we change can be inherited and the acquired characteristics of love that we might be able to generate today will be inherited in the future by many more people so that humanity itself will transform as a result of our effort. That's a very, very wise observation. And it really, if you look back throughout the philosophical history, um, you know, back even 1715, I mean, all the way back to Plato and Aristotle, it's very evident that these characteristics have evolved throughout, which led us to our current stance looking at quantum physics. Yes, I so think that I think you were right. I think that this is what is happening from uh, for millennia, and indeed, uh, in Plato's time and Aristotle's time, people made changes, and those changes, uh, some of those changes, we have inherited today. And today we will make changes which future people will, be, will inherit. And this is why more and more people at any given time, you can see progressivity in the way that uh, this kind of knowledge, this knowledge that we can love, uh, we can partake in beauty, we can be more just than before, uh, we can build a society based on truth. Uh, so uh, these these ideas are propagating uh, in greater, greater and greater number of people. I think it, it is fairly obvious if we look at the history, as others before me, uh, Toynbee, for example, uh, has already observed, uh, we are evolving. There is no doubt about it. Now, of course, for the past um, 50 years, as I said, this evolution is not very obvious. We have regressed a little bit. As I said, this is because of the materialist philosophy, the wrong conceptual lens that we adopted. Um, but, you know, these things happen. Uh, it has happened before. It might happen again. But now we are ready to, be, uh, to correct ourselves, and we'll be on the right path. Absolutely. That makes much sense. It's much like our dietary needs. What we thought was good for us in the 50s, we, we realized today in 2009, may not be so good for us. <laughs> so we've yeah, altered that. which is true. And also, even then, we make mistakes now with all this knowledge of what is good for us in dietary supplements, etc. Remember a few years ago, a very protein-rich diet uh, took off, and it became very popular. But, of course, too much of protein is precisely the wrong thing to do in a culture 
in which uh, people are already very do-oriented and not uh, as much be-oriented as they need to be in order to be creative. Creative is both doing and being. Do, be, do, be, do, as I sometimes call it. Mm-hmm. But this, um, you know, this uh, protein-rich diet makes people into do, 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 which is not very good for Americans. But that became very popular because people uh, felt that with that diet they could work, work, work all the time, which, of course, became popular for that reason. Only later people realized that, no, this is not so good for us. Most certainly. So with, with the DVD, The Quantum Activist, you're really opening up the ideas from your experience of your childhood influence with religion and then, of course, your um, extensive path of nuclear and theoretical and more recently quantum physics it's really led you back to this understanding um, the value of quantum physics and how that can enhance higher consciousness therefore enhance the human experience for all yes um, although you know I mean uh, I had a little bit of upbringing under my father um, and so I did get some exposure of the um, non-dual consciousness, the spiritual tradition in India that is called Vedanta. Uh, But I must say that I became a materialist, um, perhaps as a reaction to all that. So uh, from age 14 to um, late 30s, I was a staunch materialist. And then I started having doubts starting about 1973, and um, those doubts led me to uh, rearrange my research projects. In uh, I uh, gave up doing nuclear physics, started doing quantum measurement problem, this idea of observer effect, how observers looking at quantum possibility can make them into actual events of experience. This was considered an unsolvable problem at that time. And the reason it is unsolvable is that it it gives paradoxes. When you think about it, when you think of consciousness as a brain phenomenon, you get paradoxes like, you know, possible elementary particles make possible atoms, make possible molecules, make possible neurons, making a possible brain, making a possible consciousness. Then possible consciousness look at possible elementary particles. That only makes bigger possibility. So you never get actual events if this picture of consciousness was correct. And the funny thing is, this is this is proven mathematically. A fellow named John von Neumann, great mathematician, he actually proved this mathematically that material interactions can never, can never make actuality out of possibility. And still, uh, it is so hard to convince everyone that look, uh, the possibility can be resolved only by bringing in a non-material interaction that will do the job. And that non-material interaction is done by consciousness, done by consciousness using this non-local capacity, non-local that does not require any signal. So it is not a communication that requires signal, because if it requires signal, we could argue that how does a non-local, I mean non-physical consciousness give us a signal to communicate with the physical universe, because the energy of the physical universe always remains a constant. The answer to that has been given. Consciousness does it without exchanging any signal. And in lay terms, how is that to be explained? Because the world is consciousness. Consciousness and world are not separate. Consciousness is the ground of being in which the world exists as possibility. 
So these metaphysics, uh, which is sometimes called monistic idealism, solves the problem of quantum measurement, and, and this is what I have pointed out in my book, self Universe, which therefore solved the quantum measurement problem, a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous milestone in the history of understanding uh, physics, all sciences, because quantum physics is the basis of all sciences. And still, um, we have developed since then so much integration of all the paradoxes and many anomalous data in science, and still uh, the paradigm has not shifted. It's very disappointing how the materialist uh, world of science, uh, because uh, partly because of the entrenchment and partly because everybody today uh, does science in such a specialist way. They're not enough generalists. People just don't know that there are so many paradoxes. You know, people who are aware of quantum measurement paradox, they don't know about the paradox of perception that haunts, haunts the neurophysiologist. Uh, people in neurophysiology, they don't know about the paradox of quantum healing that haunts uh, mind-body uh, uh, medicine doctors. So in this way, we are so separate and so interested in our separate disciplines. People have just become so narrow in the way that they do science that it is very hard to, uh, for them to see the holistic picture. So many paradoxes and so many uh, anomalous data. For example, reincarnation, uh, take reincarnation. I mean, it's, it's complete anomaly to a physicist to try to understand reincarnation. But reincarnation data, uh, any psychologist knows from, the, uh, uh, from such uh, very important results of regression therapy and so forth, how useful it is how um, solid the data is in favor of reincarnation. Um, Near-death experiences, and another, another case in point, the cardiac um, surgeons who are familiar with near-death experience, they completely recognize the power of this data that people who clinically have died and they bring in the same kind of uh, experiences that um, they had, and not only that, they have experiences of otoscopic vision. They see their own surgery taking place, and, and then they give such vivid descriptions of it that, that couldn't possibly be just a general idea of what a uh, surgery might look like, but specific in the details of their own surgery. So they must be doing, having some out-of-the-body experiences just as they describe it. And still, uh, you know, rest of the science community give no attention to them because they can say, well, that's not in our specialty. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, keeping themselves divided or, or um, separate. Much like many premises in the world, we like to focus on our differences versus our similarities. <laughs> yeah, because the, the focusing on differences is easy. Whereas yes. similarities take a holistic view, and then you have to learn a lot more. You have to integrate a lot more. And uh, this, this then is what is going on in the world of science. To change it, we have to, we have to engage in activism. We have to uh, get together, uh, although we'll be lay people, but we have to understand the basics, you know, which fortunately does not require too much science. Anybody can understand the basic idea of why quantum measurement is a paradox in the materialist thinking. Anybody can understand fossil gaps 
and realize that the data just cannot be explained with Darwinism. Anybody can look at quantum healing and see that the very word uh, quantum signifies discontinuous healing, healing without medical intervention, without anything uh, being done in a continuous way. And still, suddenly, the patient is getting healing. And this cannot be explained in terms of material interactions because material interactions cannot produce anything discontinuously. With material interactions, it has to be in slow, step-by-step, continuous process. So anyone, uh, you know, if you're a layperson and don't worry about the details, don't worry about uh, all the um, details that will always uh, put complexity in the equation, but just take the simplest basics of each of these phenomena and then insist that, okay, where is the explanation? If we have an explanation given by one body of work, one paradigm of science, then that one is the right one. The right science has to integrate. The science that divides could not possibly be the right science. Materialist science, materialist science divides so much. It, it has divided not only science and spirituality, it has virtually gotten rid of the importance of the arts, the humanities, uh, practically every other discipline in our schools and colleges except science. And indeed, you see the effect of that today in uh, our society as a whole, because um, people who graduate in arts and humanities today feel like secondary citizens because their subjects have no virtually uh, no importance uh, are attribu- is attributed to their subjects. Only science, business, economics, these are the things that uh, are uh, really of any value according to the materialist worldview that you have created. Yes, so very important points you've made there, and one of them I'd like to elaborate upon is that anybody has the ability without an extensive understanding of the terminology that you're mentioning or even that we're discussing through this hour, people are able, even just through watching your, uh, your exciting film, The Quantum Activist, they will be able to begin to embrace the unlimited potential available to then co-create a new experience using these principles just simply by embracing the fact that they exist? Um, That plus the uh, idea that they already have the tools to make the changes. In other words, only in the materialist philosophy do we lack the uh, freedom to change. In materialist philosophy, we don't have any freedom. Uh, All of our freedom uh, is illusory. In other words, we are machines and how we have been programmed by our evolution uh, that is what is call, call, called the basics, and uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's completely wrong. Uh, we are not machines. Our mind is not a machine. What the mind does cannot be computed. Meaning cannot be computed by a machine. That's now a mathematical theorem that has been proven. Similarly, our feelings are legitimate. That is now part of biological science. Similarly, the, the, the intuitive domain of our world, that too, is legitimate. So we now have proofs of this, and consciousness, of course, is necessary to um, resolve the quantum measurement problem. So in this way, every aspect of ourselves, consciousness included, consciousness is the ground of being in which we have four realms of possibility, that gives us four kinds of experience. Material, material realm is just one of these four realms. 
It is an important realm because it makes representations, manifest representations of the subtle world. But the subtle is what is represented, and therefore subtle is very important. And therefore the arts, the humanities, which are about the subtle world, mind, feeling, intuition, they are also likewise very important. We have been ignoring them at our own peril, and this we need to correct. We need to put balance in our existence. What has happened recently, as you can see, uh, we put extreme importance only in the economics of our, of our being. But economics is not the only thing. Our being has uh, aspects of feeling, aspects of uh, thinking, aspects of intuition, archetypes, values, uh, and how can you give economic, uh, how can you describe this in economic terms? How can you put a number, a, a monetary value to uh, our feelings, thoughts, and intuitions? You can a little bit, but you can't to the most extent. And therefore, we need to move on beyond this uh, completely materialistic and economic worldview that you have created. So you make some very, very, very critical points, and I think the one that stands out most for me in this moment is really recreating that balance within ourselves to allow that to have a domino effect on the larger conglomerate or the larger pool of consciousness. So what would you recommend is the first step for each of us being accountable for who we are and not looking at systems and other uh, energies to support that, but within ourselves, what would be the first step to create that balance? The first step is a very important step. I'm glad you asked this question. Because in the, in the past, one mistake that Western religions uh, have always made is that uh, they have never emphasized the understanding of reality, the knowledge part of reality. And therefore, uh, people proceeded to try to um, live uh, the message of God, or try to love, or try to um, establish values in their life, but without any real understanding of why they should do so. And this has caused a chasm between uh, what they know and what they do, what they try to do. In other words, their doings or their attempts at spirituality was based on uh, no wisdom. So uh, this never went anywhere. This was not successful because what happens if we proceed to do something without understanding, we miss the nuances of how to make changes. There are many details that are clear only when you have proper understanding. So the religious traditions indeed are full of superstitions, full of false leads, full of misunderstandings. The, in, the, in quantum activism, what we say is that no, understanding comes first. First you read. First, to see what science has done. First, to read and understand quantum physics, that there indeed are possibilities. Possibilities do change into actual events. Our experience shows that. And you clearly see that this could not happen through material interactions. Therefore, we've got to move beyond the materialist philosophy that everything is matter. We, it enables us to see that consciousness has to be the ground of being in order for a paradox-free interpretation of the observer effect can be built. So after you see this very clearly and how uh, the assertion that consciousness has four compartments of possibility allows us to create a science that has not only the sensory material experience but also our experience of the vital 
the vital energies, feeling our experiences of meaning through thoughts, our experiences of intuition and the archetypes. Uh, all these are included in our worldview. Once we include all of this, then we are taking the full human being into account, how we are, and then we are using that knowledge to change ourselves into uh, the being that we want to be. So we are starting with a good starting point, which is gather knowledge first, understand who you are first with the help of the science. Now, previous ages, even in the East, this understanding required vast amount of original work. In other words, to understand reality in this way, one literally had to be creative and have creative quantum leaps in their experience, and that takes a very long time. So in the East, this was called the path of wisdom uh, to uh, realize God in your life. But now, thanks to science, uh, nobody has to follow the path of wisdom with this continuous quantum leaps, which takes a long time. Instead, one can just read quantum physics, uh, not even quantum physics with all its mathematics. I shouldn't scare people. No, not at all. No, you just read quantum philosophy and see how the paradoxes can be resolved in this way and uh, look at the experimental data that supports this view of uh, God and how God can be verified, namely this idea that we choose from the quantum possibilities, the actual event of our experience, that, that gives us such, uh, such clear uh, qualities. Uh, Non-locality is something I have already mentioned, signal-less communication. Does non-locality exist in the world? It has been verified. You can look at the data. You can look at myriad data, in fact. There's so much data available that, yes, non-locality does exist in the world. And that proof, then, gives you solid faith in what you are doing in your life. In other words, your faith is now so deep just by looking at the theory and the data and understanding it that you will be able to go through some of the uh, transformational steps, which tend to be a little heavy sometimes, you know, to love someone it's not easy. So uh, religions have given us some good advice, but unfortunately because it was not backed up with a lot of faith, uh, faith had to be taken from just uh, in, a, in, a, in a personal way, in the faith in the ministry or faith in the religion. There was no uh, experiment. There was no data except what you could collect personally, from personal experience to back it up. So faith was very difficult in the olden days. And now, uh, just by reading up on science and looking at the data, you can gain the enormous amount of faith that you need in order to sustain yourself in the path of transformation, in the path of love. So all the religions are now, should now be devitalized because that, that, that wisdom tradition that was missing in the West now is established. And the wisdom tradition, although it was not missing in the East, it has been a very tough one. That, too, is now facilitated because now one can just read the results of science, look at the data, and gain faith. And then based on that faith, they now can take on the journey of love. Very, very beautiful. That is very nicely put. So what is enlightenment from a quantum perspective, then? Well. From the quantum perspective, of enlightenment has not changed very much, although quantum physics does tell you, uh, not just quantum physics, quantum physics and recent advances in neurophysiology uh, gives a uh, somewhat different picture 
of enlightenment than what the psychologists and uh, religious people built. Uh, traditionally, uh, the spiritual people have told us that there are uh, superconscious experience in addition to what we call the ego experience of our consciousness. You know, we normally have a concept of I, and this I, um, when we examine, however, uh, turns out to be fairly conditioned. Uh, so uh, this I, obviously, uh, whether it has free will or not, that can, that can be questioned. And, of course, behavioral psychologists say that, well, uh, it does not have much free will because it seems to be very conditioned, like Pavlov's dog almost. So that is the debate. We are behaviorists right or are uh, other people right? So um, other people, these uh, yoga psychologists and transpersonal psychologists, they say that if we meditate, then very soon we can acquire, we can achieve uh, experiences of a superconscious state. What they mean by that is a self uh, that is universal, that is non-local, that seems to be one with everything. In Christianity, this is called the Holy Spirit. In Hinduism, this is called uh, Samadhi. In Japan, uh, in Buddhism, uh, Japanese Buddhism, it is called Satori. So this, uh, this state of superconsciousness is the uh, spiritual proof that uh, we have non-locality. We are much more than our local ego. So that, that is all, uh, you know, that, that has all been, all been good. Um, so this part is, is, is okay. But then we are told that these experiences enlighten us. And this is debatable. This part is, always has been doubtful because people have debated it. Does this experience uh, enlighten us or is enlightenment something beyond this? Spiritual traditions, the esoteric um, aspects of all spiritual traditions have said that no, these experiences are just the beginning. People have to transform themselves on the basis of these experiences. Uh, the new physics, new science validates this. New science says that these experiences are actually creative experiences, no different than uh, creative experiences that people have when they create science, when they create music, when they create literature. It's the same experience, except the object of creation is a new you. Abraham Maslow supported this also because he uh, wrote about self-actualization. He, he wrote about uh, renewal of the self, uh, self-renewal. In that sense, he was talking also recreating ourselves on the basis of these uh, creative uh, experiences of samadhi, satori, or oneness of everything, and so forth. So after we have done that a few times and recreated ourselves, then uh, the wisdom can be reached that we have enough new brain circuits. This is where uh, neurophysiology is helping by giving us the concept of neural plasticity. Neurons have uh, enormous capacity of creating new circuits of experience. So when we have created new uh, circuits to live by, when we have brain circuits not only of the instinctual uh, negative emotions that evolution has given us, in addition to them, when we have enough positive emotional brain circuits that enables us to love, that enables us to be just, that enables us to see beauty, that enables us to be good, when that has happened, then we can truly say that we are transformed human beings 
Carl Jung has a, had a beautiful word called individuation. We now have been individuated to act uh, as a person who has manifested all the human potential that there is to manifest. So this then can be said to be another aspect of enlightenment. But you know what? It turns out that even this is not enough because the old brain circuits are not gone. Those negative emotional brain circuits, if the stimulus is strong enough, then uh, they still can uh, bleed through. And uh, you can fall flat on your face. People think you are uh, so cool, but all of a sudden your coolness is gone and you are as ordinary as anybody else. And this, of course, is a problem that gurus, today's spiritual teachers, often face. You know, so many scandals. I don't have to elaborate on them. But it is a fact that um, there is a problem, a mismatch of what is expected of these gurus and how they actually behave. And why this mismatch? As I said, this is because the, although positive emotional brain circuits have been built through the experiences of the divine in these people, but they also continue to have this negative emotional brain circuits, that instinct, uh, that biological evolution gives us. So uh, they sometimes succumb to those circuits instead of the new circuits. How to um, change that? It turns out that that is the ultimate enlightenment. So when uh, we find people like Buddha and Jesus, uh, they had a kind of enlightenment that was, that was not based on brain circuits. That was based on a, a different way of living altogether. This, there is this, this, this completely different way of looking at enlightenment, and that is the true enlightenment. And this is, this is what the new science tells us. There are two kinds of enlightenment. This, this first kind is not, is not enough. It's the second kind that is the most coveted. But the second kind, the, the spiritual history of the world shows that so very few people, um, we can probably count them on our fingers, uh, so very people have, have ever uh, came to that place of enlightenment that it's not useful for ordinary people to um, become uh, so aspirant to achieve that particular condition. It, we, we are much better off in achieving this, um, trying to achieve this first kind, the brain circuits that way. But then we never truly become enlightened. Did this all make sense? Suddenly we started talking about things which are a little bit further away from common people's experience. You know, common people just think of, well, how do I love one person? To love everyone and to, to have loveness, uh, love and goodness and all this established in our lives, that's a little bit beyond what we normally think of as transformation. So you have to go slow in all this. Yes, yes. And I think what you've done is you've shown people the latter and as long as myself and the audience members and those listening recognize that that first rung of the ladder or the first opportunity for enlightenment is just, it's a, it's a process, and that's the first step. And if, in fact, you've mastered that first rung, then, in fact, you will um, evolve onto the second rung. <laughs> well, it, it's even easier than that, Dalsinia. Fortunately, you know, science really has made it easier. What science is saying is that there is not too many steps of the ladder. There are only really three steps. First part is that, okay, we, we begin with ignorance. An ignorant person today is a person who doesn't think about worldview very much, who is a materialist at heart, is a consumer, 
and uh, does not look at meaning of his or her life, not because of fault, but because, uh, A, nobody told them, and B, uh, the job of uh, maintaining oneself, maintain one's body in America is so costly that one usually has to have two or three jobs to sustain oneself and one's family, and therefore, where is the time? After you have done two jobs, you are so tired, all you want to do is watch TV, meaningless entertainment. So people just don't have time to process meaning. So the first step is uh, get yourself a little bit relaxed in the job situation so that you do only one job with some leisure time. Yeah, after you have accomplished that, you start reading. And if you are so fortunate to have encountered some teaching, some lectures, or radio interview like this one, or a book, so you read that quantum physics has something to say about yourself. And it just so happens that you um, were not scared of the word physics, and you just happened to read that and, and, and undertook the, the idea of uh, rising yourself to the wisdom that quantum physics is giving us and understand, uh, somehow you understand that consciousness is the ground of all being. It's not like materialists have been indirectly telling you. So um, you, are, you have much more potential than just a consumer and watcher of TV. You can actually process meaning. You have values. You have a purpose in life. Consciousness is evolving towards a great purpose. And you can join that movement. So if you are suitably enthused by your reading, if you have a little bit of faith that you can change from who you are today, a consumer of basically entertainment and material goodies, from that you can really become consumer of subtle stuff, which is much more rewarding, much more happiness producing. Um, so you see, that's, that's when you have become a quantum activist. So the first step was uh, complete ignorance to knowledge, knowledge of this stuff. So you enter, you become a quantum activist. And then uh, that goes on for a long time, for a long time, because this, building these brain circuits, having these experiences, uh, becoming creative, you know, first changing lifestyle from do, 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 to do, be, do, be, do. Yeah, mm -hmm. These things all take a little bit of time. So after um, a few years goes by, and then you have your first Satori Swasamati experience, and that is wonderful, and then you have more of them, and you start building brain circuits. Now life is very exciting. And this goes on for some time. There is no hurry. It may go on even several lifetimes, you know, like that. You may have seen the uh, movie Groundhog Day. The, the, that's a news person you know, who is trying to discover the meaning of love. And it takes him a while. So it may take you a while also. But there is no, no rungs. There is no uh, big differentiation here between who have been doing this for some time and who, has, who is just a novice. There is not that much difference between a novice and a... Um, long-term uh, participant uh, in quantum activism. Because they're really uh, the ultimate, uh, ultimate di difference that whether you have brain circuits that will take care of, keep you, keep you cool in all occasions, keep you wise with equanimity in all occasions, versus um, you know, the person who mm, gets tripped off in many occasions. There isn't all that much difference between a person who is relatively cool and a person who is relatively uncool. Because ultimately, everybody uh, will encounter some stimuli sometime, someday, 
where he or she is also uncool. There is no complete coolness in this way of uh, achieving uh, wisdom or achieving equanimity. So the ultimate coolness is there is only that one way, which is that uh, complete equanimity, complete access to the being has completely shifted to um, quote unquote God that I was talking about that that people like Jesus or Buddha, the great ones had. And that is the only rung. So there is no rung in between is what I'm saying. So all these rungs people talk about of spiritual um, know-how, spiritual being, you know, the psychologists especially make a big case of stages of spiritual awakening. All that you have to take with a little bit of grain of salt. It's not necessary to make that distinction. It's like making a distinction between a very talented teenager who is exploring himself or herself versus an old fogey who is also exploring himself or herself. Yes, okay, old fogey will not be always perturbed by the um, kind of thing that a teenager gets perturbed. But nobody says that that old fogey is particularly wise because uh, he doesn't get tripped off in some of the occasions um, as the teenager gets tripped up. Everybody knows that the teenager eventually will become as unperturbable, relatively speaking, as the old fogey. The point is that both of them are into relative state of transformation still. The absolute state of transformation cannot be reached this way, can only be reached by a, a process which is, um, you know, total surrender. Quantum physics gives us that process. When you don't manifest your possibilities at all. You let God do it. Now, how do we let God uh, collapse all of our possibilities? That's a very, very uh, interesting question, isn't it? And that, uh, to do that, uh, one requires uh, an enormous amount of uh, staying on to the developing such qualities, developing such qualities, such tolerance, uh, uh, such uh, surrendering capacity uh, that it just is a matter of, uh, you know, lifetimes of uh, endurance and so forth. And we cannot even really, uh, quantum physics gives us the possibility, but does not really tell us very much about how ever to achieve it. Quantum physics is a very good recipe for uh, having a experience of a quantum leap, a creative experience that will enable you to transform in terms of making a brain circuit. But quantum physics does not really uh, tell you very much, except that you have to you have to just do it. But there is no doing. You know, you are trying to undo the doing. The trying to undo the doing is 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 it's very difficult to um, to give a recipe for. So, um, you know, the, that part of the spiritual uh, accomplishment, or if you want to call it accomplishment, spiritual happening of a human being is truly mysterious, truly mysterious. How a few people can get into that state where uh, everything is perfect, everything is um, just as it should be, appropriate action flows from a person, is a very difficult thing to achieve. I think it's very inspiring that you acknowledge and to your um, example with the teenagers and, uh, you know, an older person. I think the the quantum activist film is going to demonstrate that these possibilities are available to all of us in our current state of consciousness and simply, as you've mentioned, 
by shifting from ignorance to understanding or knowledge, we can then begin to allow these principles to infiltrate into our being and allow the possibilities to begin to unfold in a process. Yes, in a process. And then, then we don't need to, need to make distinctions further to confuse us further. Uh, these distinctions don't help. Uh, well, okay, so, you know, if you're an adult and you have a child, uh, you have a teenager in your life and you help the teenager to uh, see a few things a little more clearly and uh, the teenager calls you a teacher, that's fine. But to think that I'm teacher because I know everything and you know nothing is garbage. Uh, that is just not the case. We are all quantum activists um, as soon as we recognize that there are potential that we have not accomplished. Uh, we will not accomplish them if we stay materialist. Only if we join um, with the idea that there is something to investigate in consciousness. Only when we do that, only when we have the faith that, yes, this idea of uh, choosing from quantum possibilities is true, and we can choose who we want to be, and we can choose, but we, we do not choose in our ego. Our ego's choice is very limited, so you have to get into higher states of consciousness. When we recognize that, we become a quantum activist. Then we want to investigate non-locality. We investigate discontinuous experiences. Then we have become a quantum activist. Once we have become a quantum activist, all quantum activists are equal. There is no gradation. Some quantum activists have a little more experience. They can teach quantum activists who are novices. That's fine. But nobody is anybody's guru. Then we, 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 we um, at, the, at this journey, when this journey goes on for a while, then we might inquire, okay, we have done this, and this is good. But, uh, of course, this is not the end of it, because I still occasionally fall for uh, stimuli and become agitated in ways that I see that is not uh, quite appropriate. And uh, now I want to go further, and then we really um, look at ourselves and say, well, okay, so how does one give up even this little imperfection that still exists in me? And I think that inquiry probably might propel us to that, that final stage where complete perfection comes into our life. If you like what you're hearing today with Dr. Amiko Swami and myself, I recommend that you check out his latest film, The Quantum Activist. He'll actually be uh, releasing that film for appearance at Mills College on October 25th at 7 p.m. if you're in that area. And also for anyone across the globe, uh, Wednesday, October 21st at 10 p.m., uh, Dr. Amit Goswami will be appearing on Coast to Coast, which is a worldwide radio show for a three-hour appearance. So please tune in to that. That should be exciting and offer more insight than we were able to do during this hour. Also, Dr. Amit Goswami will be up, coming up at the Science of Non-Duality Conference, October 21st through the 25th in San Rafael, California. And excitingly, he will be coming to Hollywood. So they'll be at the Sunset Five Theater located at 8000 Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California on Wednesday, November 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, tickets are $30. And you can find out more information about aligning with these events or just to uh, view the trailer and find out more information at www.quantumactivist.com. That's quantumactivist.com. And of course, 
explore more on his re- website as well at www.amitgoswami.org. But I definitely recommend checking out this film and sharing it with others to inspire people to, to awaken to their ability to become a quantum activist. Only when the quantum possibilities are honored can they be used to co-create a most empowering and transformative experience for one's own consciousness and the larger pool of consciousness. Thank you for supporting the quantum possibilities for the last two years with Evolution Revolution Radio and its offerings to humanity. We are so humbly grateful and we look forward to many more. Please be sure to join me this New Year's Eve on December 31st with Richard Lawrence, who will reappear to discuss the limitless teachings of the 12 blessings and delve into his empowering co-authored book, Realize Your Inner Potential. Join us for a 2010 bang. You can purchase all of the author's books featured on Evolution Revolution at www.amazon.com or link up to their individual websites through the Evolution Revolution website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Please join me in the upcoming weeks on the revolutionary independent productions of Evolution Revolution and Voices of Change for some exciting guests and uplifting inspiration, which can be further explored on the website. Also, all archives can be found on iTunes with Dulcinea, Uh, There's over 80 hours on iTunes by searching Dulcinea for Evolution Revolution. And for Voices of Change, search Dulcinea 333 and click the link by my photo and that will open up the the window to um, all 18 archives there. They include amazing talent such as Peggy McCall, Richard Lawrence, Barbara Hanclow, Neil Donald Walsh, Dr. Eric Pearl, Albert Clayton Galton, Debbie Jordan, Jana Hollingsworth, Karen Sawyer, Gary Zukoff, Charles Virtue, David Robert Ord, and more. Please share Evolution Revolution Radio with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. You can now align with me and Evolution Revolution on Facebook by searching Dulcinea333. Be sure to become a fan of Evolution Revolution Radio for special offers, books, and to keep up with the latest events for Evolution Revolution and their guests. I offer a vast array of services that can be found on my website under the Services and Events page, including client testimonials and a wealth of information and opportunities to align. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Also, please explore the Voices of Change new feature, which offers a unique expression of divine talent and wisdom that has the potential to expand, enlighten, and catalyze universal consciousness into the ever-present, abundant, infinite, and limitless realms. These audios include Dennis Lewis, Lorraine Rowe, Starhawk, Dreaming Bear, Amber Hinton, Joylena Goodings, Marla Martinson, Suzanne Northrop, and more. Co-create with Evolution Revolution. We are seeking partners to help Evolution Revolution evolve and expand to even more people across the globe. If you're interested in partnering and supporting the rapid development of Evolution Revolution, please explore the Evolution Revolution tab at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. 
I look forward to hearing from you about the infinite possibilities to co-create in the highest light and with the grandest intention. Also, as I mentioned, be sure to connect on iTunes with both Evolution, Resolution, and Voices of Change anytime for free. Just search Dulcinea in the iTunes store or Dulcinea333. Happy listening. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution with my honored guest, Dr. Amit Goswami, on our two-year anniversary. Please explore my past conversations with Dr. Amit Goswami in Episode 64 and also our one-year anniversary episode in number 44. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution Radio. I wish each of you abundance of heavenly love, including peace, awareness, joy, and gratitude today and always. Abundant miracles.